from the Indian Wells Tennis Garden. It's episode 67 of No Challenges Remaining. 67, wow. 67. Yeah. That's a high number. It is. It's a very high number. And we are actually, not just are we at the Indian Wells Tennis Garden, we are actually in the garden. We're in the garden. We're outdoors. By the way, hi, this is Ben Rothenberg. <laughs> That's Courtney Nguyen. We're doing this podcast al fresco. Yes, we uh, are. In the little patio, which is very maybe the most famous patio on the ATP WTA tour. Yeah, and all of tennis really. So the way that the Indian Wells Tennis Center or Tennis Garden is designed is that there's the, it's kind of one of the few uh, tournaments where press and media and umpires all eat together. So there's a, a, you know, dining hall area and then there's this huge kind of covered outdoor seating area where fans can actually kind of like watch players eat um, <laughs> and whatever. From a distance. From a, from a distance. From yeah. a distance. But yes, we are we are coming to you live. Well, not live because this is taped, uh, but we are coming to you from that area. It's dark and it's nighttime now, so there's not a whole lot of action it's down here. It's off peak, but on peak, it's definitely like a very like high school cafeteria <laughs> it's vibe. So it. It's so I, nutty. I think I've said this before that I do not feel comfortable eating down here. I always feel that I'm invading some sort of weird, like crossing some weird line between journalists and players. Yeah. I know you don't have a problem with it. You like it eating out. It took here. a little getting used to that, I will say. Like, just little things, like, cause I feel like everyone at tournaments is always, media somewhat included, but especially people who work there, obviously, are always very deferential to players. Mm-hmm. So, like, if you're in line for something in the cafeteria and a player gets in line behind you... Yeah, you're inclined to just be like, no, please, you to, you Kim, you get your sandwich like, yeah, before me. please, you know... Anna Ivanovich, like, you should go ahead of me. But then you're also like, well, that's not how a line works, per se. <laughs> so I'll just kind of stand here and be ahead of Anna Ivanovich, yeah. and that's fine. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, no, but it's it's, it's fun. It's, it's a, unique, a unique experience, um, you know, for us as press. I mean, it, it kind of reminds me a little bit of, like, Cincinnati and, and one of the perks of that tournament and covering that tournament is the fact that you get to sit courtside yeah. in the photo pit. Um, to watch center court matches, which is like really cool. And so in the same way, this is kind of like a neat little, I don't know, very different thing, um, yes. you know, for us. So this tournament in general is very different. Like this whole Incredibly place is different. very different. And not only is it different from the rest of the tour, it's different from itself. I mean, like this place has really changed. I think both of us first came here around six, seven years ago for the yeah. first time. So not obviously as far back as some of the other people who've been here for decades in various locations where this tournament was. We have a pretty good sense of sort of how it's grown. You especially, Courtney, been here a bunch of times pretty continuously. Yep, never haven't, I, haven't missed. Yeah, I have. I had like a four-year gap where I wasn't here. So explain what it was and explain what it is now, I guess, yeah. to people. Yeah, in a lot of ways, you know, when I first started coming to this tournament, I believe it was 2008. Mm-hmm. Um, that was my year, too. Yeah, it was... It we was, didn't know each other back no, then. No, we did not, and it was just absolutely mind-blowing to me because it was, you know, uh, I just was so shocked by the access I think that was the biggest thing is that you saw these players just walking around the grounds and you could just like walk up to them and they were practicing and you were practically sitting right on the court as as Anna Ivanovich was practicing uh, which is what I did Um, and it was so cool and and it wasn't super crowded it was a really diverse group of people that really came here because people from Los Angeles would drive all the way out to Indian Wells 
now with you know the backing of, of Larry Ellison and this is all pre that was pre Larry Ellison pre -Larry. Um, so it was kind of a smaller scale tournament and uh -huh. maybe less ambitious of a tournament you know at the time it was Miami that was really recognized as the fifth slam uh, at least from an American perspective because I know Europeans will no, say no I totally you know, agree with that but it was Miami and now it's almost like not even a question um, that that Indian Wells has really surpassed Miami to really rightfully lay claim to fifth slam and also like really start to really make an argument for itself being like better than some of the slams in terms of a tournament. In terms of facilities, Facilities, absolutely. incredibly. I yeah. mean, like there's the new Stadium 2, yep. which seats, I want to say... 8,000, I believe. Eight, okay, something like that. Yeah. Some big number of people. And it just feels like a really, really nice, world-class, top-level stadium that could be the number one stadium at so many big tournaments, including, you know... Maybe not to pure capacity raw numbers, but it feels like a main venue. It has also, should point out, a Nobu built into it, yes, which is it insane. Yeah. Apparently, so one of the funny things about the Nobu is that uh, there's a bar that you can sit at and eat at, and it looks directly out onto court number two, yeah. stadium court two, and it's a $100 minimum. Yeah, explain Nobu. To, not everyone might sure. know what Nobu is. So Nobu is, is probably one of the most famous high-end you know, Japanese restaurants in the world. Um, it, it is a chain, but a very, very high-end chain. Um, and the dishes, you know, end up, you know, you're, you, you're buying like two pieces of sushi for like 20, 25, $30. And so yeah. in order to feed yourself, you're typically spending, you know, upwards of kind of $300 or so with drinks and everything to kind of for a meal. It's, it, it, I've never eaten there. Yeah. I kind of wanted to go here just as a lark, but um, from what I understand, it's pretty packed out and, and, and people are really... Um, making it and integrating it already as part of their Indian Wells experience. And the tournament has barely even started. I mean, that was during Qualies. It was during Qualies, <laughs> yeah. The crowd here in Qualies was impressively big. They're also one of the more engaged Qualies crowds. And like, if you go to matches, especially the American Qualies, they can get pretty into it and behind a play. I remember last year here, the crowd, it was a Christian Harrison versus Ernest Goldbiss match, and they were match, and they were so behind Christian Harrison, and Goldbiss was like, "What is going on?" <laughs> He's really starting to get annoyed by it, and they were also like pretty, like kind of like heckling him some because the crowd here is not. I mean, as much as I like this tournament as like a facility, the crowd here can be one of the more obnoxious ones in tennis. It can as be. I think historically we know it's difficult because back in the day like when i used first came to the tournament it was really a very engaged crowd a very knowledgeable crowd in a lot of ways but since this tournament has really become pretty posh i mean in terms of u.s tournaments this is the most posh tournament oh, yeah. that we have more so than the u.s open yep. and um you know you have a lot of kind of like the older set uh which is kind of the primary population down here in the coachella valley valley they have money and they come and they kind of want to show and uh, but they may not actually be following the tour you know on a, even a slam basis i mean i think today was it yesterday we were watching lena practice and somebody was at, somebody kind of tapped us on the shoulder and was like oh who's that who's that and when we told them there still wasn't kind of a recognition that was like yeah. anybody who was important much less the top seed much right. less the most recent slam champ the other thing that happens here too people not always i wouldn't say it's the most tennis savvy crowd right here they were, I've heard during qualies, which is usually a time for really hardcore people, yeah. qualies, uh, I heard very spirited debates about how tie breaks work. And not like theoretical existential. No, 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 like. no, no, no. Just like on, on the format of tie breaks, which you, which you do hear some everywhere. I mean, tennis rules are confusing. It's not always the easiest sport to dive into. You don't follow up. These were like, 
it's not. It's less surprising here. And yet and they're enthusiastic. I mean, at the oh, they're, draw they're ceremonies, mostly, yeah. like those were packed out. And I yeah. think a lot of people didn't really know what the hell was going on. <laughs> about 45 minutes, into the, or about 30 minutes in the draw ceremony, a woman who had been sitting with me for 20 minutes, like tapped me on the shoulder and was like, now what's going on here? <laughs> like, <laughs> they're doing the draw. And what's that? Oh, it's how they decide who plays who. Okay. She seemed underwhelmed by that. Yeah. She didn't she, seem boring to her. But there were like hundreds of people and people wanted to get involved in the draw. The line to like kind of pull the chips was long. I mean, so I think the way that you described it in terms of being engaged is precisely right. And that doesn't imply knowledge or whatever, but they want to be a part of it. Yeah. And you mentioned this tournament is in the Coachella Valley. Mm-hmm. And I think we were talking before upstairs in the media room about comparisons between this event and the other signature event of the Coachella Valley, which is Coachella, Coachella the yeah. music festival, mm-hmm. and how they both sort of changed for better or for worse. For better for them, but changes of, oh, so why don't you just, if you can, yeah, that was an interesting analogy. Yeah, I mean, I, I, before I started, I think I've said this before on the podcast, before I started going to, to tur- tennis tournaments, or even Indian Wells as a tournament, um, I was a really big Coachella fan, and, and I would go, it was my big trip every year was to come down here it's a, a at the time was a, a two-day music festival expanded to three days and now it's expanded to like a two-week thing like two sets of weekends with kind of the same bands um, and, what, and Coachella was like a really indie thing yeah it was it was smaller I mean not smaller bands you know I mean the Cure would play or you know a, the Smiths revival or something like that I mean big names but for the most part you went there for the indie bands and you went for the side shows and you went for you know the smaller bands who could you discover I mean I discovered Arcade Fire there like for me personally, not like I discovered them and signed them. You found them. I found them, but I was like literally almost passed out out of exhaustion in the field and I heard just this amazing music and I kind of poked my head up and wandered over to the stage and I've been a ridiculous Arcade Fire fan ever since. But, um, you know, but to see kind of how the Coachella um, event has kind of morphed over the last 10 years or so has been, at least for me in terms of what I loved about that um, festival, I no longer have any desire to go. It's just too big. It's too corporatized. It became about people spotting and celebrities like, oh, look, Justin Timberlake is tripping on acid over there. It's like, okay, well, that's not really, I mean, that's not where I went. I went for the music. And, right. and, and because of how the festival changed, the, the fans changed and the types of people who were shelling out money for these tickets and the ticket prices did go up. So it was a different type of music fan that was out there and it became not hardcore music fans who still go, but the ones that really seem to like take over the culture of the fandom, you know, over that course of the festival were really kind of like, they were there for like the main acts, right? Like, yeah. oh, I'm here to see Kanye. It's like, no one's here to see Kanye. Like, if you <laughs> want to see Kanye, go see Kanye at the Staples Center. Like, right. why would you come here, you know? Right. So it's different. So an- analogizing that a little bit to, to Indian Wells, I mean, as a tournament, it, it's definitely growing. I can't begrudge it its success. No. Love it. But is it the tournament that I enjoyed back in 2008? No. But the caveat to that is also I haven't been here as a fan since 2009. Okay. So after that, I was always credentialed media, which is a completely different experience, experience, you know. And so it's hard for me to kind of to kind of know. But like I have a good friend who has been coming with me the exact same time the last uh, few years belly flops what up Steph what up Steph um, belly flops on Twitter oh, you should totally follow she's really good during this tournament belly flops with a Z yep exactly and and she has I think kind of come to her wits end with this tournament I think that the changes and the sheer size and enormity 
and all the security measures that are necessary. We have to acknowledge they are necessary yeah. security measures, but there is less access. You are further away from the players. More fences. More fences, more, more zoned out areas. I was taking photos today of just like the grounds, like sweeping shots, and there's a lot more like bleachers in the way yeah. of stuff. There's it's not like, the clean view. It's the same sight lines. Yeah. So it feels a lot more built up and not not good for photo taking purposes. Yeah, I mean the, yeah, the secret the, the, the secrets totally the secrets out. out and, and, and we've helped we've yeah, preached the sure. gospel of this tournament ourselves. We've been like, oh, if you can go to one tournament, go to anywhere else. It's amazing, and they've earned the success. We don't begrudge them that at all. I, or very rarely in any form of music or life, whatever, begrudge anybody selling out, quote right. unquote. Um, anywhere else totally has, but they've been, maybe been bought out by Uncle Larry. But at, at least it. I will say that in going yeah. back to my comparison between this tournament and Coachella yeah. is that Coachella sold out, like literally sold out, and they didn't really care whether or not the fan experience was good. And it was just about getting the money and the corporate sponsorship and getting people through the door, knowing that so long as they put up, the, they were Coachella and they put up a good lineup, that people would buy tickets and yeah. they would consistently buy tickets. At least with the way that Larry Ellison has run this tournament since he began investing in it, he has really... It is basically like if you or I were a billionaire and could had like like just the deepest pockets on earth and created a tournament exactly how I wanted it to be. That's how Larry Ellison has done it. Like, you know, I mean, even just the little so many little touches, details, details and touches that no other tournament would give a crap about. They're for free free amenities that are not profit making. Charging like stations charging just stations. because it's a charging because it's, so it's it should. like this big pillar that has like several cubbies in it mm -hmm. with like four sides and it's four different of like the most common types of phone chargers built yeah. into it. Totally free. <laughs> they also have these uh, water filler Brita, which is a sponsored thing, but I don't think like you know still don't pay for it. Right. Um, but like, filter, if you don't even understand, water, like the, the the free water filling stations, like that is not just like wheeling in a standalone you know machine that you're gonna then take away. They went into walls and they pulled out you know uh, uh, drinking fountains, fountains yeah. and inserted this whole like machine to give people filtered water, which the water here is not even that bad, like tap no, water. No. So it's just, you know it's those little touches that where I that is where I will differentiate, like kind of like diverge my analogy between Coachella and India Wells. I really feel like at least, and that's probably why it doesn't make me mad, because I'm like, dude, yeah, like if I wanted to be the biggest tournament and the best tournament in the world, these are the things that I would do, and I would not, you know, I'd want like more people through the door, and I'd want more people, right. you know, so it's fine. Yeah, I totally, totally agree with all that. I totally think it's, I used to think, I used to say, back when I think it was a little more on the fence about it, Miami used to be number fifth slam. And I think there was a time when I sort of decided that Indy Wells is fifth slam for the men, women fifth slam was in Miami because, because of Williams is. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it wasn't this wasn't mandatory for as long. Uh, like Hennon skipped it sometimes, Kleister skipped it a couple times. Dementia. But anyway. Um, yeah. But now you can't compare it to Miami. I, mean, I know Miami's got that recent approval for that big overhaul, so we'll see how what Miami's next move is. But. Yeah, the, this place and the top two stadiums, it's hard to compare them with anything. And I, and I will say that, like, a lot of the pictures that were floating around before the tournament of were that were, like, computer-generated pictures of what the grounds, the new yeah. re re renovated grounds looked like. I was like, okay, yeah, that's CGI, whatever. Let's see when we get here. And I got here, and as I was walking up to, like, Stadium 2 where the Nobu is, right. I was like, this looks exactly like CGI. Like, it looks, like, pristine and perfect and clean and... It's surreal. really and, and it's I should, surreal. It's very it's like, surreal. Especially the whole like being in the middle of the desert thing. It's yeah. like very much like a Sim City, Sim whatever feel to it. 
Like, yeah, we just sort of built this out of nothing. Plop this here. Twelve palm trees in a row, perfect little flowers underneath. Yeah, it's very, it's artificial, but it's, like, well done. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's nice to go to a tournament that doesn't feel like a pop-up. Yeah, you know what I mean? And, and then you know that, you know, like, instead of... Yeah, I mean, like, even talking about the charging stations, like, any uh, any lesser tournament wouldn't have installed free charging stations. What they might have done was install those things that they have at the airport where you have to actually pay to charge. Like, you have a little cubby hold out the, with a lock yeah. because they, they'd want to monetize it or they don't have the money for it, so that's how they do it. And here it's just like, here's free electricity and Wi-Fi. Yeah. Free Wi-Fi that hasn't gone down yet. Not yet, but it's early. It is early, but, I mean, we'll see in the middle weekend, but so far, and I should say... Explain this Wi-Fi, because I think so you've been really marveling about the Wi-Fi. I really have, because in discussing, you know, for those of us who have gone, and this was really kind of came out of my... When I took, like, almost a year um, before I worked with Sports Illustrated and was just blogging at 40 Deuce, um, I made a commitment to go to as many tournaments as I possibly could, and I was—I really was. Yeah. Um, and one of the, as a blogger, I wasn't credentialed. I was just going as a fan, as a ticket-paying fan, and I just really struggled with the fact that I was in international countries. I had to roam. Um, I had to charge my phone, and there were no outlets. You know, these little basic things that you needed to do. And I would then talk to like, you know, people who ran tournaments and they would say like, oh, we can't do it. You know, Wi-Fi is just so hard to do. We can't offer Wi-Fi if it's going to be unreliable. Right. We, we want it to be reliable and we just can't promise it. Or charging stations, which has been something that we've been complaining about for like years now. And still, this is like one of the, this is my, probably the first tournament that I've seen it at. Um, so it's it's just kind of a crazy thing. So with the Wi-Fi here, it's an open Wi-Fi system if you're on uh, if you're on site, you just connect to it for free. Yep. Um, it's the same. We in the media are on the same Wi-Fi system, which I think is absolutely insane. It makes me nervous. It makes me bit. very, very nervous. But we're on the free Wi-Fi, so it's yeah. across the board, and it's supposed to be. A, you should be able to. You should have the bandwidth to um, stream matches online because the app allows you, if you're connected to it, to be able to stream matches from different courts. So we'll see, but I was just thinking, like, if they pull that off, what the thing that is kind of exciting about this tournament is that they're upping the bar, they're trying to up the up the ante to where if they pull some of these things off, no other tournament is going to be able to say that can't be done unless they just have to admit we don't have the cash. Right. The same thing they did with the Hawkeye on every court. Right. Which still exists. Which still is the only one. I mean, they you had it during qualities here too, which you never see That's Hawkeye amazing. operational during qualities. Even tournaments that have it, like for example, in Cincinnati, if you ever looked on our Twitter page, the banner behind us is this picture. It's this like challenges remaining, like Ginepri golf fan zero zero. And that's because of the scoreboard set at the beginning of the match because <laughs> it was qualities and they just didn't they didn't have challenges available. Right. Um, yeah. No, but here they do it. And if they pull uh, it off, it's it's incredible, and they'll they'll be able to say first of all they built a stadium in ten months. Yeah. An eight thousand seat stadium nice with built we like in it too. yeah, with skyboxes, with built in restaurants, with concession stands, everything, a permanent structure. They built in ten months. Incredible. You know, and, and you talk about the Wi Fi, if they were able to offer reliable Wi Fi over the course of two weeks for free, that's a game changer. The app, streaming, practice schedules, pushing all practice of that. Schedules out, on the app. Fans that's love incredible. That. Yeah. You know, so they're they're continuing to kind of, you know, raise the bar and, and uh for that, I am fully behind this tournament. They're raising the bar, but at the same time, it's like a bar that like everyone else is choosing to ignore. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? It's not like everyone else is like, wow, anyone else does that, we have to do that now. Tennis is sort of, I was thinking about this today randomly, just like, tennis is very independent and it's a traveling circus and that like, Miami doesn't really care for mm -hmm. like what Indy Wells does for fans. They just want to make things enjoyable for their fans. Right. They can set their own 
tone and their own goals, and it can be independent. It's not like but a league what, or something where but, it has to be uniform across it. But even then, like that's again getting back to the whole Larry Ellison factor. He does it because out of pure a ego, yep. but b also pride. I yeah. mean, ego and pride go in hand hand in hand. And he just wants, regardless of what the hell else is going on anywhere else, it's like. You know, like the minute, like you just kind of feel like one person complained about how, oh, I wish Hawkeye was existing in qualities. And Larry was like, dude, turn on Hawkeye in qualities. Like, you know what I mean? Like, not because, like, it's not about are we trying to be better than everybody else and one step ahead, but just like, this tournament's going to be the best and it's going to be awesome and like, I'm going to do everything I can. They don't make excuses why they can't. Everyone else does that a lot. Yeah. And yeah, Yeah. that's about it. It's exciting. I mean, I I really think it is. and And I think that. You know, even when, like, for example, like the the analogy that I've been using a lot is with respect to this tournament is it's kind of like when your favorite indie band that you used to see, you know, at like some dive bar became big and now they're selling out like arenas or Mm -hmm. something like that. And you can't begrudge them their success because they're your favorite band and they continue to make great music. And you like them. And you like them. It's not like they've changed as people. Like they're still making great music. But is your experience, are you able to experience them live the way that you did when they were smaller? No. no. And that changes and you just have to get over it. But so that's kind of always my tension with this tournament. Exactly. Talk briefly about the draws which happened here. Let's start with the men's draw, sure. I guess, because it's sitting on my left, and that's how I'm operating here. Um, we don't need to get too granular with it, but basically, top half is really loaded. Everybody's in there. Nadal got a tough draw, but then again, I heard someone, saw this, someone say, I saw someone say this on Twitter, I don't remember who, but I thought it was smart, like, can you say he has a tough draw when he has a winning record against everybody? Right. Yeah. Probably no, that, I mean, that's what I wrote in my SI yeah. preview, which is that it is a minefield for Rafa because you have a tremendous number of very talented players who are capable of pulling off an upset in a best-of-three scenario. But would I actually pick any of the players in this in his half of the draw to beat him? No, I would not. It's challenging because the way it works out being challenging for him is that it could wear him out somewhat. Um, not that Nadal has ever been one whose fitness or uh, conditioning we've ever questioned, but he could get... A draw that looks something like Istomin, Dolgopolov, Malfis, or Fanini. Fanini played him really tough in China. Um, then someone like a Murray or a Janovitz, and then a Federer or Vavrinka, and then a Djokovic. Yeah, I mean, I think that that the draw, the men's draw, is very similar to me as the one in Melbourne. Yeah. Exactly. So it's it's and that and we saw what happened there was that it in arguably. The, the amount of effort, it did, yeah. it did, you know, and, and uh, he wasn't able to get through. I mean, he had tough matches against Dimitrov, against even Nishikori, straight set match, yeah, but that, that was, was a really grinder. Tough. So, you know, it, it's not that easy. So you can only just say, yeah, it's a tough draw relative to what, I say it's a tough draw relative to like what like Djokovic has or what somebody else, you know, a Federer has or something like that. We'll see. I mean, I, it's interesting. Who do you have winning? Who do I have winning? Oh, I haven't thought about that. Oh, okay. Um, but, I mean, I don't do the predictions like you. But I would say, I guess Nadal. It has to be Nadal until proven otherwise, I think. I really, really like Dimitrov and Goldbuss' draw. They play each other third round. Whoever gets out of there, I think it's a great shot at making the semis. Yeah, we'll see. I think it's a uh, fun draw. I'm surprised to see Del Potro here, and more surprised to see him in doubles also. Yeah, that's crazy. He doesn't always make great choices, maybe. He's um, paired up with Marin Cilic in a, in a fun doubles draw that has Stan and Federer. Really and, fun. You know, a bunch Always of Always good here. Yeah. Always the best. Exactly. One thing I just jumped out of me when I was looking at this, 
Can you talk about these two letters that appear here, right here? On the I draw. have a Jack Sock wild card, the 20th I, wild I under, card. I, I underlined US... the WC next to Jack Sock. Yes. So can you explain why that's significant, I guess, or, or what, and how we feel about it? So according to uh, Josh, I don't know how to pronounce his name, actually, Maisel. Josh. Hey, Josh. Ma- Just call him Josh. Josh, yeah, Josh uh, Maisel. Mazellas, I, I think that might be right, um, who is on Twitter and, and uh, the six set on contributes Twitter. For, to the ATP. He counted up Sox 25 U.S. tournaments. Main draws he's played, yeah. Main draws at the at, at U.S. tournaments. 20 of them, he got into the main draw via wild card. That's this is his 25th. That is incredible. Or, I'm sorry, this is his 20th. Yeah. This, that is incredible. That should not happen. That is shocking. Absolutely shocking. And it's not like he's, like, clearly he's not doing well enough because if you get a few, the whole idea is that you get a few wild cards early, you, you get some wins, you build up your ranking to where you don't need wild cards. Right. But he still needs wild cards. So it's a, it's a bit of a weird thing, and it was interesting because I interviewed Monica Puig uh, last week for a thing that I wrote for the WTA website. Um, she's now working which you with Anto- read. yeah, which she's now working with Antonio Van Grisham, which I think is a great hire for her. But she was I asked her the, about the whole concept of wild cards and um, whether or not she because she got a wild card into qualifying the last two years here, and now she's in the main draw yeah. on her own. So I asked her about them, and she kind of basically said, you know, what, it's way more satisfying to get there on your own. And the wild cards are great, like, you know, to just get yourself in the door and to get the big match experience. But, you know, she seemed pretty adamant about the idea of, like, I want to, if that means I got to drop down and play, you know, ITFs or lower level tournaments in order to build up rankings, I'll do that as opposed to just relying on wild cards. Now, she is from Puerto Rico. She's probably not going to get a ton of wild cards the way that you get being an American. But it's 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 a disconcerting stat, man. I will also say there's a big difference in terms of just a big big difference in terms of the connotations of getting a main draw wild card and a quality wild card. Yes. Like getting a main draw wild card feels like much more of a handout because you're skipping not just into this general field of players who are trying to get in, but you're skipping ahead of people who are fighting to get in, and that's what Sock is doing. And Sock is still around number 100 in the world, and to our knowledge, she has not had really major injury concerns or anything at this point. I mean, Harrison is also a wild card in here, but Harrison at least has peaked much higher, uh, gotten to top 50 at one point, and sort of fighting to regain his footing. Sock never really got his footing in terms of being a top 100 player and is, yeah, maybe could use the work. Yes, I think he absolutely needs to, to do the work because that's been the biggest knock, at least when I talk to other coaches um, and other analysts about Sock is, and other is, agents. And other agents is his, the issue of work ethic yeah. and the issue of fitness and how much he actually, and if you're just getting, I mean, let's not forget the fact that these aren't just wild cards into main draw. This is money. Yeah. This is cash dollars that he just goes up, shows up, gets a wild card, loses first round. You're still making thousands of dollars just by being there. Facilitating a lifestyle. Right. And, uh, yeah. you know, so that's that's something that he definitely, I think, is, uh, and, and at this point, I think that it's going to become a reputational issue, you yeah. know, and, and you start looking at all the other guys who he's getting these wild cards ahead of, you know, and. An Alex Kuznetsov, a Bradley Klon, a Smechek. Bradley Klon, by the way, Johnson could easily become the number two American here. Yep. Easily. Way to go, BK. Yeah. And that's all through work in the challenger circuit. Completely. And smart scheduling. He played mm-hmm. a lot. Bradley Klon, we don't think we've ever really talked about on this show. Bradley Klon's up to number 63 or so. And he did that almost all by going over to Asia during the fall and playing challengers and not a lot of other top non-Asian players are playing and picked up some relatively easy points mm-hmm. through that. So, yeah. And, I, you know, that, and there's works. respect that's, that's there. Totally, there's respect there. Totally non-cushy way to go, yep. you know? It's a, uh, tennis is kind of a choose-your-own-adventure novel. <laughs> a lot of ways being a tennis player, and his way was pretty valid. 
socks, I think it's a few more people raising their eyebrows or rolling their eyes, whatever you want to call it. Yep. That's pretty much the men's draw. Women's draw has an unfamiliar name at the top. Courtney, what does it feel like to see Lee Na's name at the top of a draw of a big, dislamish tournament? It's it's jarring. I mean, it's a bit discombobulating in a way. I mean, when I saw the draw, I kind of like looked and I was like, wait, what? And then kind of was like sifting through the draw to see where everybody else landed up. And But it's exciting, you know? It gives her an opportunity to kind of see where the, as you said, kind of the alpha, you know. She's an alpha now. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like the top four looks a little bit upside down at the moment. Mm. The top four right yeah, now Sharapova. goes Lee, Radvanska, Azarenka, Sharapova. Yeah. And we're much more comfortable with being something like Sharapova, Azarenka, Radvanska, Lee. Um, but yeah, Lee Na's there. And obviously for seeding, whatever, being one through four doesn't hugely affect your mm-hmm. actual draw. But it, it's just good for her and it really validates her. No Serena here. She's the player to beat here. She is. She but is. It's, a, it's a very wide open draw. I mean, yeah, you can totally. really pick, you know, 10 players who would be not surprised uh, to see, you know, holding up that Baccarat thing. They struggling to hold it up because none of the women can lift the trophy. It's heavy. It's, it's really a heavy, heavy piece of crystal. Yeah. So yeah, it's, uh, so we'll see. I mean, it, you know. I want to see Stoser win to see if she can lift it. She's got some arms. She does. She does. Yeah, I mean, Lena is, uh, you know, she's obviously the top seed. Um, one thing that we did kind of learn today at All Access Hour is that um, if to the extent that you have any money riding on Victoria Azarenka, you might want to pull that money. Um, she kind of had a very much an attitude of, of kind of happy to be here simply because she's been injured and her foot has been in a walking boot for three weeks. And she said she only really got back to practicing tennis, hitting tennis balls within the last week. Yeah. So, you know, I, I watched I would not her. be shocked to see her pull out before the first match. She's a, she was very insistent on the fact that she was going to play. But, uh, but you know, if, if that is the case, she said she's not pain-free. Some days she has pain, some days she doesn't. I watched her practice a little bit today. Wasn't sharp at all. Didn't look, obviously, like the old Victoria Azarenka, which is understandable given her, her time off. So, you know, would it be wise to pull out? Probably, but she seems pretty hell-bent on playing here. So, yeah, I, uh, that my biggest takeaway from that was just that maybe, you know, we need to give her some time um, to get back on her feet. So let's segue into talking brief about all access. You mentioned it there. Unless there's anything else you want to say about the draw? No, really. No, right. uh, you mentioned Azarenka. We start with her. She was the last one into all access, um, wearing a hat that looked very red. Food pick. It did. It was like had sort of what were those things it was called? A trucker neon. It was neon. And what were those like pants called in the '90s? Like the stripy ones, the sweatpants. Oh, um, Z Cavariccis? N- no, 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 like the night... Like, like the hammer pants? Like the... Hammer the, pants, yeah. Uh, yeah. But like, you know what Zumbas? I mean? Zumbas? Zoom, something like that. Yeah, Some yeah, Z yeah. word. Um, the AC Slater pants from sure. Saved by the Bell. Yeah, yeah. Like those. Those were kind of looked like her hat. It was very yeah. 90s looking. She looked very dressed by Red Food, which is fun. It's a certain aesthetic. Yeah. He's here. Not with us right now, but he's at the tournament. We'd be happy to have him on sure. at the moment if he wants to break down Victoria's draw. Um, yeah, Vika, I think, was interesting talking about sort of the, the process of this year and that it's her just not, you know, setting the bar necessarily too high for herself or being realistic about goals and accepting sort of suggestions that she might not be at her best in a way that she hadn't really done in the past. So. Yeah, no, that was a very, um, she definitely was tempering expectation for the year. Um, what did you think about her comment? Because obviously, uh, well, her comment that blaming the lack of an off season for you know, the fact that you don't have time to rebuild your body because the tennis season just doesn't allow you to, which is definitely true. But then... That was a very astute question she got later about the I 
IPTL. Correct, um, because she is one of the confirmed players for the IPTL, which takes place during said offseason. Uh, she said, well, that's, you and her, know... And her PR manager, Benito Perez Barbadillo, is uh, the PR person for that league, so she's fairly closely entwined with that. She's, But she was always going to be playing it, basically. Yep. Um, yeah, so it's interesting, and she had a couple interesting answers, so we can hear from her now. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Like whenever, whenever you get yeah. out. Oh. So, can you get an update on sort of your foot and how much you've been playing and what, how you're feeling? Um, well, I'm here, so that's that's that. <coughs> that's the most positive thing uh, there is. Um, Was that in doubt? So? Uh, well, you never know. You know, when you hear for the first time from a doctor, you gotta wear a boot for three we- three weeks and the tournament is in four and a half weeks, you're like, okay, well, we'll see how it goes. But, you know, I just wanted to stay positive and uh, uh, try to do the best job as possible. And um, I think we're slowly achieving that. So for me, it's, it's, it's a process of coming back. Um, but, you know, I've been training for a little bit, so <laughs> that's how, always good. How many days have you really been training hard? Uh, playing tennis, a little bit less than a week. I mean, a week. How's, how's life in a boot? It sucks. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, I mean, you're not going to lie, being active, being, you know, always moving, I'm always moving, so for me to, to, to wear a boot, it was like, it's just so unusual. I, I had different walk, it's like crooked, you know, <laughs> so, um, but, you know, something that you have. Another person who was in all access was Maria Sharapova. Sochipova. Sochipova. I, I actually got to say Sochipova. You used the phrase Sochipova, and she yes. like she was like didn't flinch at that. She, she didn't. Like, no, she gets it. Um, she gets the the suffix suffixification of herself. Yeah. Um, well, when you name an entire company Sugarpova, all bets are off. You've pretty much given up all dignity in your name. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. What do you make of Maria and her her attitude here? And uh, it was. Seemed, she seemed happy. Yeah, she seemed like she's Everyone in a good mood. Everyone was happy, mood. by the way. Yeah, everyone's always, always happy always here. Happy it's here. actually like a joyous place to like talk to players because they haven't seen you for a while, so they're not really pissed at you quite yet. Not yet. By the time you get Miami, they're tired and it's hot and it's muggy and they just don't want to deal with you and they'd rather it takes an hour to get into transport to get back to their hotels, so they're just like they want out. I think it'd be a little bit shorter with you in Miami. No, I mean I thought that she was yeah she she looked fresh faced, relaxed. Um, she was cracking lots of jokes. Yeah. Um, which I wasn't really expecting, but uh, it's hard to know a little bit. It's really hard to know what, uh, where she's at. Obviously, for this tournament, I personally have concerns about the the fact that she did go to Sochi, um, derailing her her um, her tr- her preparation for what is the most important stretch of the season for her. I think I counted it up, and in the last two years, from Indian Wells through the French Open, she's 57 and six. Wow! Making ten fi- making ten finals and winning five of them. Clay Pova. Yeah. So you know this is you know and she's made the the finals of Indian Wells in Miami the last two years so which is an incredible feat I mean yeah. double in and of itself is an incredible yeah. feat let alone making the final of both so this is a, I mean if she doesn't replicate on some level that success <laughs> she's the rankings gonna tumble it will um, and so I was a little bit concerned about that I don't know if I really felt I got the assurances when I asked her somewhat directly whether or not there was concern uh, I don't think that I really uh, I would say though I, I'm I'm not entirely sure that the Sochi thing is as she's only there for like six days. I understand that, but there's yeah. the, the 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 prep before, there's the prep back the, when you get back. I mean, it, it's still not you know 
you have other things on your mind during that time. And so, you know, it's it's something and it's something different that uh, she hasn't done before. She hasn't done and she before. talked a little bit about the being on the opposite side of the media equation uh, with us. So we can hear what she said about that because I thought she was, she was funny. And then also there's some nice uh, words for our buddy Matt Cronin, who is absent from this tournament. We can talk briefly about Matt after she talks. So how was Sochipova? How was that week? Uh, it was busy. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not. Exhausting. It was exhausting. <laughs> it really was. We were just saying with Max, it was like, you don't know what the next level of tired is, really. I mean, I, <laughs> um, just because I'm, I'm so in my sport, of course, it's, it's physical and it's challenging, but you're so used to taking care of your body, making sure you get enough sleep and you eat right, and it's like everything in that week is just completely shattered. I mean, you're not sleeping, you're eating terribly, you're drinking caffeine all the time to stay up, to look like you're awake. So now you know our lives. Yeah, we'll yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Cry me a river. Well, he better be back. We want him back. Okay, Matt? <laughs> um, no, he's, um, of course, when, when you see a familiar face at so many events and so many tournaments, I know, you know, we, we as players, we have a love and hate relationship with you guys, but at the end of the day, we're we all... No. <laughs> okay, speak for yourself. <laughs> no, but I mean, honestly, we're all, you know, we're all humans, and we're, we know that you without us wouldn't wouldn't get the whatever our jobs done and um, just like if we were just playing tennis without you guys it wouldn't be the same and if you guys didn't have us it wouldn't be the same so I know how important everyone is to this world and I hope that you know such a familiar face is is back with us so Courtney Matt's not here Matt's so not we, here we should we should have a podcast at some point for sure He's a big, big voice in the press room, a I frequent mean, voice in the press he, room. I, I know, obviously, based on Twitter and forums and comments and things like that, that broadly, at least among you know people who read uh, tennis media, that who met him. and who haven't met him, find him to be a very. I mean, he's a polarizing figure. Yep. He is very strident with his opinions. Yep. He um, is very forthright. He interacts with a lot of people. Yep. I mean, when, if you tweet him, he'll probably tweet you back unless you're being incredibly rude. And so that even then he might still do. Yeah, and yeah. and that can engender kind of you end up being in a debate with him. And, and so there's a lot of kind of like not animosity, but there is there is kind of a, a Cronin hater kind of segment out there totally. that I know exists. And what I've always kind of told people who who uh, have ever asked me about him, I was like, you've never met Matt, you don't know. Yeah. He has been, he is the hardest working man in tennis. Um, and he is incredibly generous with his time and with his just uh, mentorship in a lot of ways. And then on top of that, when he is not at a tournament, like I feel like a little bit like it, it kind of implodes on itself. Like he is the guy in the media room who, if no one is sitting and talking to Sarah Ronnie, he goes over there and he talks to Sarah Ronnie. He has first questions in boring in press conferences that have to just kind of get moving. Right. He's definitely definite backbone of the place, and he's his absence especially already. on WTA stuff. Yeah. And that's something that people need to understand that like yeah. he is an incredible advocate for the WTA, not advocate in terms of like championing it, but covers it, gives it the equal amount of treats coverage, and same, treats it the which same. Is, which is shouldn't be remarkable, but it is. Right. I mean, seriously, if you want to track it, take him and put him up against any of the other main tennis writers and I'm not putting Ben and I in that conversation yeah. but like the, the head top tennis writers that people consider being the name brand tennis writers and compare how often he tweets legitimately um, and analytically about women's tennis 
compared to men's tennis, and he is far and away ahead of everyone. And he's not snarking, he's not like belittling the sport. Like, wow, this is loud. Yeah, like, ugh, like, ugh, get off the court, I want Andy Murray to be, you know, like, it's like, yeah, come on, you know. Is, yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, we, we miss him a lot. He's just a kind, kind soul. Um, he cracks us up all the time. And uh, his uh, agitation and exasperation over the smallest things <laughs> will never cease to amuse me. It's, it's so great. And uh, so, as if you don't know, I don't know if he said it before, but he or Maria said it in the clip there. But um, he had brain surgery yesterday, so signs are so far so good. He was back tweeting later mm-hmm. that day, which is pretty remarkable. It is. Getting brain surgery. And it's so cronin. Like, so the guy crony. can't, like, like just chill. He can't just, like, chill out. Yeah. Like, he was joking. I had dinner with him. A week before um, his surgery, and he was joke, and he was kind of joking, but also kind of serious that he was like, "I mean, you'll just Skype into all access hour." And we're like, "Dude, chill, man. Like, I'll ask questions. It's fine." <laughs> so all the best, Matt. And I guess we can leave it with that. Thank you for listening, you guys, on this short mini episode of the show. We'll try to come back to you a couple more times, hopefully during this tournament. Hopefully with some guests. There's a bunch of players floating around here. We saw. One potential guest walking down here uh, when we were on our way down to record this to the, in the garden. And we were like, maybe we just grab her now. And then be like, that'd be a little abduction-y. That's not really our style. And it's so. almost like, you know, 8, 9 o'clock or something like that. So yeah. it's a little bit late. But, um, but we'll try ben, to get her and everybody else later. Before we sign off, yeah, can you do me a favor? Okay. Yelena Yankovic came into All Access yes. Hour today. Can you please do an impression yeah. of what her greeting was the minute that she walked into the room and no one was paying attention to before her? Before she even got to the table. She was like a couple meters away from the table. And she goes, hi. <laughs> and everyone was like, what? She and, everyone was like, and she like announced her presence <laughs> in the room. I know that people have, have referred to her on various fan forums as, as an empress. And this was one of the most empressy moments I've ever seen for her. She was declaring her presence in the room. And the entire time, you talk about everyone being happy here. It, anyways, JJ had it on a whole different level. It was a different she level. Was, incredible um, and even at the end she had to get up and I think it was Azarenka who was going to sit down after her and like she kind of stood up uh, uh, JJ did and she wouldn't really leave she was like she lingering. was kind of lingering like we were like we're like we were all just grabbing our quarters and you know you kind of don't make you know and then finally like she's kind of hovering over my shoulder and I'm like Hey, and she like puts her hand on my shoulder. She's like, "Hi," and I'm like, "Good to see ya." And she's like, "Yes, yeah, good to be here again." And I, I think I said something like, "Well, you always bring the light and the joy." And she said something, but I don't remember. And she, she was, um, I don't know if you saw, yeah, you didn't see because your back was to her to that room. But she did like her TV interim, interviews in that back room, and she came out of there while Vika was still going. And all I said, and she kind of walked by the table like, behind her, like. Please notice me again. <laughs> and it was great. It was it was so funny. She she's really having her back to being relevant makes it it's so much more fun. It was she's great. so fun as a relevant person. She is a total like class clown of yep. the top ten. And you really do appreciate that pretty quickly. Yes. Absolutely. So she brings the light and the joy. I let her and some music play us out. Have a good one, guys. Let's You're in a good mood. <laughs> Always oh, really sunshine outside. You're surprisingly good hula hooper. Oh, I saw the underwear a little shawl. I'm like hoping I'm like, hold the skirt. <laughs> you like me till you hear my shit on the radio. But now I'm just a bitch for you, oh no. You like me till you see me on your TV. 
Well, if you're so low below, then why you watching? You say good things come to those away. I've been waiting a long time for it. I remember the day. 